Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our service of worship today from First Bellamy. Thank you for joining with us. My name is Jim, and I've been asked to lead this service, and it's a pleasure to do so. And thanks to all who have played a part in this recording. I can't believe that this is the 12th of July. Where has the time gone this summer? So many changes have taken place, and no doubt there will be even more in the future. But today we remember the one who never changes, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. Glory to his name. Let's pray. Living God, you are our Heavenly Father. Without you, we would not be here. You have given us the very breath of life. You sustain us, strengthen us and hold us fast. We want for nothing because each and every day you provide for all our needs. Above all, Father, you so loved the world that you gave your only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. He humbled himself and purchased our redemption and the price has been fully paid. Lord, we are adopted into your family, your kingdom, and it is all of your grace. You know us by name and nothing whatever can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Holy Spirit, breathe your life into our worship today that it might be acceptable to you. Take from our minds and hearts all that would distract us. Make us good listeners to your word and help us to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Now, our opening praise, we are going to hear those lovely words of the 23rd Psalm, the modern version of the Psalm. Let's praise God. Hi, boys and girls. I wonder, have you any holidays booked this year? I know some people that are disappointed and they're not going uh, on holiday. It's been cancelled. And there are some people who are going to fly away to somewhere sunny and warm. Now we've had some people, some members of our family here staying in our house and they hope to get away soon. So first of all, before I ask them a few questions, our friends here, I'm going to ask Clementine to read a couple of verses from a lovely Psalm, Psalm 139. Okay, Clementine, let's hear it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your present? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wing of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Oh, that's a lovely few verses because it reminds us that God is with us, no matter where we go. Okay, right. Tell me what age you are, Clementine. Okay. I'm seven. You're seven, right. Okay, Teddy, what are you? Six. Oh, you're six. And right, and Poppy, what are you? Four. Oh, you're four. Have we anyone missing? Albert? <laughs> Where is he? In the bath. Oh, he's in the bath? And he's two. Oh, and he's two years of age. He's left behind, Ross. That's right indeed, dear. And can I ask you, first of all, 
Where are you going? Australia. You're going to Australia, down under. And what city are you going to? Melbourne. Oh, Melbourne, because I heard that Daddy's going to a hospital there. Isn't that right? He's going to work. Okay, can you tell me a little bit, hey, what animals would you expect to see in Australia? Sharks, if you're swimming, maybe. Um, some kangaroos and... Sharks, kangaroos, anyone else? Mm. Mm, can you think of any, Poppy? Mm. Um, a koala, that's right, because you're hugging a koala at the minute. Now, now, I was going to ask you another thing. If you meet someone in Australia, do you say, oh, good morning, how are you? No, you say, um, good day, it's like fast, like, good day, mate. Good day, mate. Oh, is that like that? Oh, that's great indeed. Now, tell me this. What weather are you expecting there? Can you tell me? Um... Very sunny, but a bit rainy. Very sunny. Oh, I like the sunny bit, but the rainy. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Right, okay. And on the beach, are we going to have some barbecues, maybe at Christmas? No, they're called Barbies. Oh, they're called Barbies. Oh, excuse me. I haven't really quite uh, got the lingo there, you know. Look, folks, shall we say a little prayer? For the summertime, for all boys and girls in our church and in your church as well, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful world and the opportunities that we have to go places. And we thank you for the promise we've read today. And we know that promise comes from the Lord Jesus, that no matter where we are in the world, you will care for us, look after us, and you will be with us, even though we fly to the other side of the world. So be with us this summer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 This morning's reading is taken from the Old Testament, from the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 30, and beginning at verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Amen. The title of this sermon is Holding Firmly. Isn't it good to know in these days of uncertainty that we have a God who is holding us ever so securely and we in turn are called to hold 
unto him each day of our lives. Now, there are three words that I want to give you just at the beginning to help you and to help me remember what God is teaching us today. Now, these are three words. They all begin with the letter M. The first one is mother. The second one is mentor. And the third one is master. Now, we've all lived through this lockdown and the medical and social implications of coronavirus. And for some, of course, it has been a difficult journey involving illness, death of a loved one, loneliness and so on. Others of us, maybe those retired, have occupied themselves with a project around the house or in the garden. One of those lovely sunny days, I decided that this particular tree in our garden was overhanging the entrance gate and needed some large branches to be pruned. Well, I got my ladder and I fixed the ladder against the tree. I got my chainsaw going and I started to climb the ladder as Barbara held onto it. Somehow the picture of me doing this job reached our three daughters and they were horrified. Daddy, what on earth are you doing up there at your age? And remember, if you fall, A and E will not be open for people like you. Barbara sent the photo to some of her friends and the response came back quickly. Now, Barbara, if you were holding the phone to take the photo, who was holding that ladder? Well, look, I'm pleased to report that the job was completed successfully and all ended well. But the phrase, who is holding the ladder, has really stuck with me since that happened. And it reminded me of that lovely psalm, Psalm 139, especially verses 9 and 10. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. And the question to us today, who is holding the ladder of our lives? Who is holding the ladder of faith in your situation? I want to take a few moments today to look at this kind of support that we receive in our lives, but particularly, of course, in a Christian context. Looking back to those who have held us firmly in that sense, Two New Testament characters we use to illustrate this. Timothy and the Apostle Paul. First of all, let's look at Timothy's life. In Acts chapter 16, we read that Paul the Apostle came upon this young man in a place called Lystra, which is in modern day Turkey. The people spoke well of him there in the church that he belonged to. It may have been that Paul on a previous visit had led him to faith in Christ. Uh, the record tells us a crucial bit of information about who supported him in his early life. His mother, Eunice. She was a Jewish Christian. And furthermore, his grandmother, Lois, is described as having a sincere faith. Not much is said about his father, apart from the fact that he was a Greek 
And the implication is that he was not a believer. So it was on the maternal side of the family that was holding fast that ladder of faith for this young man. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, we read about his instruction in the Bible. That is the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament. Paul says from childhood, you've known the scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So what a good start Timothy got. Interestingly, uh, during this lockdown period, there's been an advert on television featuring a dad with his little boy. And the caption says, if lockdown has taught us anything, it is the importance of the home. Perhaps you can look back and say, in my home and family, there was quite a strong Christian influence. Other people may not be able to say that because their parents were just not interested in those things or were even opposed to it. I remember as a young assistant minister visiting houses in Belfast. I knocked the door of this house one day and a man came and opened the door and at the same time he was holding a very angry barking Alsatian on a very thin lead. He looked at me and I introduced myself as being from the local church. Before I had time to say any more, he said, the wife's not in. I tried my luck by saying, surely I could have a chat with you. To which he retorted, I'm not interested. I beat the retreat because the only thing that was interested in me that day was this Alsatian dog that wanted to take a bite out of my leg. Long time ago now, we were visiting Scotland and making our way back to Edinburgh Airport. And we were in the back of a taxi. And you know that most taxi drivers love to chat. Oh, they can sort out the politics of the day and the problems of the world and uh, what needs to be done there. In the conversation with the taxi man anyway, he said that when he was at school, he always remembered what the teacher had written at the top of the board. And he saw that every day. And it was this, hold fast to that which is good. And that stuck with him all those years. So whether it's the influence of a Christian mother or indeed a Christian father or a teacher or youth club leader, the seeds of God's word are sown. How wonderful it is to see some of the boys and girls from our church playing their part in our online uh, services and reading some of the verses from the Bible each day. So many are being brought up to love Jesus. But, but we all know that there are young people who made a commitment to Jesus whenever they were younger. But sadly, as they go through adolescence and on into adulthood, they drop the childhood faith that they've been brought up in. It doesn't fit neatly into their new life or lifestyle. The voices of new friends or partners in work or in uni sound more convincing. The faith of Christ has never been thought through, matured and applied in the adult life. And it's simply discarded with the phrase, oh, that's not for me now. What can we do as parents, grandparents, church members? 
Well, what we can do to encourage young people in that situation is keep sharing Jesus. He is real. He is relevant. He's the only one who can bring peace to the human heart. And keep praying that those who have rejected the faith, we hope only in a temporary, temporary way, that they will encounter someone or some situation that will kindle again a small flame in their hearts. Can change really take place? Yes, it can. Change is a work of God's spirit and with him all things are possible. An example of that changing and saving grace was seen in the life of the famous John Newton, former captain of a slave ship who became a minister of the gospel, a clergyman in Olney, Buckinghamshire. He gave his wholehearted support to William Wilberforce, who was instrumental with others in the abolition of the terrible slave trade. Newton was writer, a writer, of course, of one of the most amazing uh, and most famous hymns, which became his personal testimony, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And interestingly, Newton was nurtured by a Christian mother who taught him the Bible at an early age. But sadly, she died of tuberculosis when Newton was only 11 years of age. And after that, he was brought up under his father's very different influence. But change came, as we have said, by the work of God's Spirit. So a mother's influence must never be underestimated. Timothy was blessed through his mother. So let us look at our second word, M for mentor. A mentor for the Americans is associated with a life coach. Someone who helps you get on in your job, building a career, improving your performance in a particular sport. A mentor has also been described as a trusted listener, a wise counsellor or teacher. The word itself does not appear in the Bible. And yet there are numerous examples of it. For example, Jethro mentored Moses. Moses mentored Joshua. Eli mentored the little boy Samuel, who used to be uh, the prophet Samuel later on. Christian mentoring has, of course, a different goal from secular mentoring. Christian mentoring is about discipleship, growth in the Christian faith, knowledge and service and submission to Christ and his kingdom. Our eldest daughter, when attending Dundee Uni, benefited from a mentor. It was more akin to a buddy system. A senior student would take a fresher under their wing, show them the ropes, warn them of the potholes they should avoid and guide them in the right direction. Many commentators reckon that the Apostle Paul was one of the best mentors that there ever was. He mentored young Timothy in the early Christian church and referred to him as my true son in the faith. Paul got to know the personality of this, his young charge. That is, that he was inclined to be a bit shy, fearful, lacking in confidence. And Paul reminds him that he should not be so timid. God has not given us the spirit of timidity, 
but of power and love and self-discipline. And he also said to Timothy that he should not be ashamed to speak about the gospel of the Lord Jesus. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Paul also prepared Timothy for the reality that Christian discipleship it was no easy and is no easy pathway. He would have to prepare himself to face hardship and that he would suffer persecution for his faith. Paul at this time indeed was in prison, in chains, uh, for what he believed and what he was trying to do. And he knew he was coming to the end of his ministry and indeed the end of his life. This was going to be a hard act for Timothy to follow. Then in the context of all of this reality check, Timothy was reminded that in his ministry he should avoid quarrelling about words, to be sidetracked, but to hold fast to the truth and simply show kindness to the people, gently instructing them in the hope that God would grant them repentance unto life. What a start then for young Timothy in his Christian life and his future leadership in the Christian church. He was held firmly. He was nurtured in the home and mentored by one of the best. Perhaps you today can look back on a person or people who taught you much and encouraged you on the Christian pathway. I wonder, can we do the same for others? Sharing what we know and what we have experienced, that those young in the faith might be fully supported and encouraged and that they might feel that. So then, the importance of a mother, Christian mother, the importance of a good mentor. And then thirdly, a master, the word master. Now the context of the last few chapters of Second Timothy is that Paul indicates that the time of his departure is at hand. And we have this wonderful threefold finale that he gives us. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Paul is looking back on his ministry and he's reflecting on what he did under God. I remember years ago being in conversation with a retired minister he was a considerable age of a man. And I had heard how he had helped a family in their difficulties years before. And I told him that they remembered with gratitude what he had done for them. He gave me a strange reply. He said, well, it's good to know that I did something right. If truth be told, no one this side of eternity can assess how any of us have done on the Christian journey. There are opportunities, no doubt, that we have missed. Times when we hadn't the courage to speak up when we should have done so. The devil can use our reflection to discourage and decry the most faithful ministry. He is not our judge. The Lord himself is the only judge of all. In my view, Paul looked back at this time feeling a bit depressed, deflated. Even may I say we detect some self-pity. Two categories present themselves in his analysis of his ministry that is now drawing to a close. 
the first category of people were helpful to the work of the gospel. Here is a sample of those mentioned. Luke, the beloved physician, was with Paul. Mark was commended for his usefulness. Onesiphorus refreshed Paul and wasn't ashamed of his chains. Phoebe was a great help. Aquila and Priscilla, his tent-making friends, helped him found the church at Corinth and risked their lives for him. The second category of folk were the opposite. I'm afraid they were not helpful, but harmful. Paul says, everyone in Asia deserted me. Hymenaeus and Philetus were engaged in false teaching. Demas deserted me because he loved this present world. And Alexander, the metal worker, strongly opposed the message of the gospel and did me much harm. Some of the words of that well-known hymn comes to mind. What a friend we have in Jesus. And then that verse, do thy friends despise, forsake you, take it to the Lord in prayer. So welling up from these emotionally charged words, Paul, after all he's been through, with feelings of isolation and disappointment, he says, at my first defence, no one came to my support. Everyone, including my so-called friends, deserted me. May it not be held to their charge. And then he makes this great declaration. But, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me and delivered me from the lion's mouth that the Gentiles might hear the gospel. He remembered that the master himself was his advocate when all else failed. He was the only one who held the ladder firmly for them. If today our reflections of life sometimes bring up disappointment and hurt, uncertainty and doubt, baggage that we hold from the past, we've been let down by family, mentors and even friends, remember the experience of the great apostle. Everyone deserted him at the end. And then it says, but the master himself stood with him. Influences in our lives. A mother. A mentor. But we need the master himself. And he draws near to us again today, just now. And we have to remember that he will hold us firmly and securely if we surrender our lives to him and let him have complete control. To God be the glory.